The primary care podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keep it under 15 minutes long because I have to go watch the Packers beat the Cowboys. Boo, Cowboys. Before we get started, a big thank you today to the medical director, the CEO of the Annual Medical Group, uh, my wife, for letting me have an afternoon podcast, taking care of the kiddos. Uh, I've got, oh, just about 20 minutes of just ooh, personal time. This is wonderful, doing some podcasting on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, watching some football, uh, nothing better. So a big thank you to my wife, who will never listen to this. But for those of you who uh, know her, uh, give her a big pat on the back the next time you see her. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, exciting day today. Uh, we finally released to iTunes after months and months of dealing with the uh, pressures of Anawa Medical Group and uh, bureaucratic red tape, etc. And, you know, we decided to push it out anyways and very excited about it. Um, things are going really, really well. I've got some really good feedback already from people who have listened to it. Um, and in fact, we've got a couple of actually uh, emails sitting in our uh, inbox. Um, we decided to jump ahead here. Uh, I'm going to interject today's uh, today's podcast into my normal flow of podcasts because there's some new guidelines out. We're going to talk about some new asthma guidelines, uh, so super excited to talk about those. Um, but let's first, before we get into that, let's jump into some, uh, some user feedback, some listener feedback. Okay, so let me pull up this email here. All right, again, this is at uh, primarycarepod at gmail.com if you ever want to give your own feedback. Uh, This person requested to be anonymous, so let's start. Um, Dear Mark, love the podcast. Big fan. Especially a big fan of your episode about antibiotics and not using them in orthopedic implants. Uh, Very important. Maybe you should tell the orthopedic surgeons this. Uh, Side note, uh, viewers, I agree. Um, Okay, going back to the email. Uh, I have a joke for you, Mark. Okay, Um, let's read this joke here. What is the difference between a carpenter and an orthopedic surgeon? The carpenter knows three antibiotics. All right, you said it, not me. Uh, So any orthopedic surgeons out here listening to this podcast, you shouldn't be listening, number one. But number two, that was definitely not me and definitely one of my listeners. So you can blame them. Uh, Also, yeah, we'll leave that topic and move on to today's podcast episode. Today's podcast episode is on a new approach for treating patients with asthma. Now, uh, the last major U.S. national asthma guidelines we have are 2007, and this was from the U.S. National Asthma Education and Prevention Program. Uh, The acronym is NAEPP. Side note, um, you know, I think we overlook how good of an acronym AAFP is or USPFTF or AAP or these, you know, uh, they, they, they they just flow off the tongue. How about an NAEPP? guideline for U.S. National Asthma Education Prevention Program. That doesn't, but it, it's it's fine. It, I think they should work on their acronym a little bit. So anyways, um, this is the old, this is the old stepwise process, right? So it defines intermittent asthma symptoms that are, you know, you occur twice a week, you have symptoms, you get very rarely nighttime issues, you have normal lung function tests, you don't have, you know, you have less than a need for one uh, steroid uh, corticosteroid flare-up uh, per year, basically. Uh, I'm, I'm summarizing, but that's kind of mild intermittent asthma, right? Now, 
There's people that, you know, have mild persistent asthma, and those are not quite daily symptoms, you know, some nighttime symptoms, but less often than weekly, um, some limitations, a couple of exacerbations uh, annually, and again, pretty normal lung functions when we do PFTs. So when we look at what these new guidelines are from, these are from the Global Initiative, hold on, let me find it. Global Initiative for Asthma Guidelines. Okay, so again, Global Initiative for Asthma Guidelines. You'd assume that would be a GIA, G-I-A. Uh, in fact, they, their acronym is G-I-N-A. I don't know why they think they can just throw an N in there like we're not gonna, we're not gonna notice that it's a GINA guidelines. Initiative is one word, not two, well, whatever. Uh, anyways, so side tangent there. Okay, so this gets back to the fact that there have been a couple of randomized control trials, in fact, five, according to this, according to their guidelines. Um, that talk about the fact that people with mild intermittent asthma, people who historically have just been on albuterol, PRN, that these people can have flare-ups that are very serious and can lead to hospitalizations, can lead to significant uh, comorbidities and problems, and how in these uh, randomized control trials that as needed inhaled corticosteroid combined with a bronchodilator, in this case, a long-acting beta agonist, or, and, and, or a short-acting beta agonist, which we don't usually do. Um, but as-needed combo inhaler is non-inferior to daily inhaled corticosteroids. Okay, so to repeat that again, as-needed Advera or Simpacort, using drug names, are non-inferior to a daily QVAR, daily Flovent, et cetera. Now, that's kind of interesting because we normally think of, you know, our step from going from short-acting beta agonist up to the next step is a, a daily inhaled corticosteroid. Now, why is this? It's because it's a well-documented fact, and many studies have proven this, that compliance with daily inhaled corticosteroids, especially in BID dosing, is really, really, really poor. There's very bad compliance. So, it's probably not a surprise that as-needed treatment with a Symbicort or an Advair is, has similar symptom scores in these studies and superior at preventing exacerbations than people who are just prescribed a daily inhaled corticosteroid by itself. So basically, this new guideline from this global initiative of, of asthma guidelines. Again, this is not the U.S. National Asthma Education Prevention Program that we're also used to with the stepwise uh, fashion, the, the stepwise guidelines, but these are based on European asthma experts. Now, this GINA, uh, their guidelines talks about getting rid of intermittent, right? So you're no longer intermittent, right? Uh, any asthma controlled with as-needed or daily low-dose inhaled corticosteroid, oh my God, I'm going to mess that up so many times this podcast, is defined as mild. So there is no mild intermittent, mild persistence, just mild in, in their guidelines. So in those people, the preferred therapy is either an as-needed Advair or Simbacort, a combo inhaler, okay, or as-needed inhaled corticosteroid whenever short-acting beta agonists are used. So basically, uh, because in these studies, the beclomethasone slash albuterol was one of the combos used. So it wasn't just long-acting beta agonists in these combos. This was a, there have been studies with a short-acting beta agonist in, with the inhaled corticosteroid steroid. Now, importantly, 
the long-acting beta agonist used as a rescue in these cases is always formoterol, always, because it's the most uh, short-acting uh, of the long-acting agonists. It has the uh, quickest onset, sorry, quickest onset. So when I said before, when I was describing both Simbacort and Advair, Advair is actually not recommended because the salmeterol cannot be used as a relief medication because its onset is significantly slower than the for motorol that is in Simbacort. Uh, similarly, in, uh, in a comment section in the GINA, there's a discussion about uh, Breo or that uh, could be used because Vilanterol is a little bit shorter than um, Salmeterol, but it's not quite as short uh, onset as the Simbacort, the Formoterol. Formoterol. Side note, you could not pick a worse combo of medications and inhaled corticosteroid, long-acting beta agonist. This is not what my brain likes to talk in rapid succession to try to keep this under 15 minutes long. Oh, Lord, should I have picked a different topic today? Woof. I'm sorry on your eardrums today. Okay, so let's get into the weeds on this. So would this be a good practice-changing guideline or a bad practice-changing guideline? So right now, for my mild intermittent patients, I just have them on albuterol, period. That's it. End of story. So this this recommendation would say putting them or giving them a Simbacort instead of a short-acting beta agonist or maybe giving them both, the as-needed Simbacort would prevent more exacerbations than albuterol alone, and it's as good as taking a daily inhaled corticosteroid, for example, Qvar or Flovent, in preventing asthma exacerbations, and I guess it exposes our patients to substantially less steroid over time. If we're just using it intermittently, then we can get people off this over time. Now, of note, this is only for uh, adolescents and adults over the age of 12. Do not use in kids. This does not change pediatric guidelines. Uh, again, but this is something that's really interesting for your adolescents and adults. And those of you who know me, I'm basically a practicing internist and adolescent medicine physician, so uh, this applies to my population in general. This is really good. Now, what are the consequences? Well, the consequences don't appear to be anything medically. Uh, medically, this appears to be based on the studies that they put out here, these five uh, randomized control trials, and there's another one linked. In Lancet of September 14th, 2019, so literally a month ago, not even a month ago, uh, this was a study in New Zealand, looking at an as-needed combo inhaler versus daily inhaled corticosteroid therapy in mild asthma cases and mild persistent, which is why we'd use this, and the two approaches in a real-world setting, right? So 70% of whom had been receiving daily inhaled corticosteroid therapy, so they were randomized, and at a year, there were fewer exacerbations in the group that had the combo drug, and uh, there was Fewer doses of oral corticosteroids were used in the as-needed group compared to the daily inhaled corticosteroid group. So I think that there's significant clinical benefit to doing it this way. The downside, though, is really economic. Uh, we talk about an albuterol inhaler, which isn't necessarily cheap, but significantly cheaper than Simbacort, you know, and definitely cheaper than Breo, um, or Brio, however you pronounce that drug. Um, you know, maybe Dulera, but again, Dulera similarly is also expensive. One could argue if we're going to put these people on a, a daily QVAR or a daily um, Flovent, 
you know, we're prescribing a pretty expensive medicine, thanks to American healthcare. And so using a PRN uh, Symbacort is probably economically cheaper in the long run. So maybe there aren't any cons to changing, question mark, although you'd be practicing against U.S. guidelines and in favor of practicing based on European guidelines. So, I mean, I guess you could just say pick whichever healthcare system is better, and I guess you can't go wrong there. I mean, whatever. So I guess that's my take-home. It's probably practice changing for me. I think instead of putting people on, you know, a daily inhaled corticosteroid, God, I'm going to mess that up. How many times have I messed that up already? Uh, I, I think instead of putting somebody on a daily Q-bar or Flovent, I think I'm probably going to start offering them this Symbacort PRN as it seems to be a, a better overall uh, way to manage their symptoms um, based on the literature. So I think that's very practice changing for me. Haven't yet fully committed to this, but I think I might play around with it a little more. I think the research clearly shows that it's in the real life situation where my patients probably aren't diligent about BID dosing on a routine basis. Probably there's significant, uh, not only clinical benefit, but maybe economic benefit as well. So uh, more to come on that. So since we have a little extra time today, uh, based on the clock, we're under 15 minutes, uh, I want to throw in a free study that we're going to review today. You're getting, this is free. You can look at this. You're getting free studies right here, free evidence. Okay. So uh, the question is, uh, we talked in the past about uh, perfecting your COPD treatment uh, regimen, your practice management. So gold criteria says for exacerbations, use 40 milligrams of prednisone for five days, right? We all know this. So this is a study in Lancet Respiratory Medicine in 2019 in August. Uh, eosinophil-guided corticosteroid therapy in patients admitted to the hospital with COPD exacerbations. And basically they said, we're going to give you your, the standard five-day routine versus, that's your control group, versus your treatment group, which is we are only going to give you steroids on days where your peripheral eosinophil count was greater than 300 cells per milliliter. Now, there's been a previous study back in 2012 uh, that looked at this similar guideline, but said, we're going to hold your systemic corticosteroids in patients with a peripheral eosinophilia less than 2%. Now, those are roughly about the same numbers. So mortality and readmissions at 14 days were similar in both groups. Uh, there was no significant difference really at remissions in 30 days with the eosinophil group either, and it reduced the five days of steroids on average to two days with the eosinophil-guided group, which is interesting. Now, this was done in patients where you're getting daily CBCs, so obviously it doesn't really apply to the outpatient world unless we're going to have them keep coming back for daily CBCs, but I thought that was pretty interesting that that's maybe another way that you could gauge how long you need to use uh, steroids for. Uh, the other interesting thing about this is that the only significant adverse effect in doing five days versus two days is that the standard therapy group had worsening diabetes control because yay steroids. Um, that's it. Go forth, go forth, fellow practitioners, in full uh, confidence knowing that you can manage asthma guidelines with the current guidelines or maybe you change it up and maybe instead of that daily inhaled corticosteroid, you think about using the PRN Symbacort instead. A side note, I have no financial ties to anybody who makes Symbacort or sells Symbacort. Um, I think all drug companies are pretty gross and sketchy, and uh, I don't really support them too much, but uh, they, they do a necessary evil. So there we go. Uh, this guideline change also probably uh, I like because it, it's my, it follows my tenant of nihilistic medicine is oftentimes the best medicine. Doing less is oftentimes better for the patient. In this case, instead of a daily medicine, uh, if we can do something similar using fewer doses of medicines, uh, I think the patient ends up winning in the long run. So, so how'd we do today? 
enjoy what you're listening to. Any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles, please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. Please check the episode details for links for free CME. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.